The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. And I do mean like this video because later in the show, if we hit, we want to do 150 again? Sure. A thousand. Let's aim for the sky. 150,000. If we can get 150 likes on this video by the end of the show, we will be giving out three 30-day free trials to the Paramount Plus Premium Plan. So go ahead and smash that like. We've got a lot to get to. We're going to have a little bit of a coaching carousel preview for you a little bit later on. We'll also be addressing some of the coaching carousel news as the Charlotte 49ers have made a hire of Biff Pogey, a, a name that... Y- was not created in NCAA football 14 by your cousin as they are trying to figure out who they are going to lead to multiple national championships at multiple different conferences. This is actually a very unique character within the coaching community. What does that say about Charlotte? What does it say about sort of the, the, the coaching profession in general? We'll see if there's any takes on that a little bit later in the show. But one thing that we've really enjoyed doing here, especially later in the season, as the stakes are higher than ever is digging in a little bit deeper. Our, Betting preview of sorts, of course, is going to come in the form of the Cover 3 Locks episode Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. But what about the way these teams match up? What about some of the keys to the game, uh, even if we don't have a lock, and maybe we don't because the matchup is so interesting, we want to make sure that we spotlight some of the big ones. We talked USC-UCLA on Monday's show, but there is another game in the Pac-12 with incredible significance on the Pac-12 title race as... Utah will be on the road going to Autzen Stadium where Washington just got a win 
going up against the Oregon Ducks. Now, Utah, over the last couple of weeks, has done a good job of taking care of business against opponents that it is better than. I mean, it's 42-7 against Stanford, 45-20 against Arizona. A little bit of a low-scoring grinder at Washington State, but remember, that was the Cam Rising mysteriously not in the lineup. No one knew about it, all the way down to you know every single fan and and all the gamblers out there is it was quite a moment, especially coming off of an off week. So really, ever since the win against USC, you know, the the walk off 43-42 victory, Utah's been a little off the radar. Oregon, of course, we just got to see up close and personal. Danny, as you're looking at Oregon and Utah, what are some of the sort of key matchup points that stand out to you when you're trying to break this thing down? Um, I think clearly this is a game of physicality. This is one where Oregon, I think, could potentially struggle with Utah's front seven with the combination of Cam Risen being able to run the football uh, with Tavion Thomas, their running back. I think that, to me, will define whether Oregon is able to uh, win this game or not. Also, the bounce-back game for Bo Nix. Like, how does he do offensively um, rebounding after the first loss of the season for the Ducks. But I think the physicality, kind of the trenches, the trench warfare would be where I'd see the significant advantage to Utah. They haven't been as dominant as they've been before, but I do think this will be one of Oregon's more physical tests that they'll have to face on the year. See, I, I look at it a little bit differently on one side of the ball than Danny. I, I agree that that Utah should be able to run the football fairly well on Oregon. But Utah's run defense this year has been pretty poor. And the better rushing offenses they've faced have run at them kind of at will, right? Florida got what they wanted on the ground consistently against Oregon, or excuse me, against Utah. And so did UCLA. Like, they could run it kind of whenever they wanted to. So I think it's a major test for that Utah front seven that, like, is usually pretty good. But this year, in their bigger tests, they've been pushed around a little bit. On the flip side, I think a known quantity in this game is that Oregon's pass defense is hot garbage. Mm-hmm. And if Cam Rising is remotely healthy, he should be able to get what he wants through the air here. Kind of quarterback injury questions on both sides. Like, do we know if Bo Nix is healthy? Do we know if Bo Nix is going to play? Whoa. Uh, that's the thing. I, I, We don't know Bo Nix's staff. What Dan Lanning talked about it at his press conference this week. He said, I'm not going to share really any update with anyone. We came away dinged in that game. I'll say I feel a lot more positive today getting to hear some news on where things are at right now. But that could be about Bo Nix. That could mm-hmm. be about starting center Alex Forsyth. That could be about starting right guard Ryan Walk. That's the thing. Bo Nix wasn't the only Oregon player dinged up in that game. They suffered injuries on the offensive line as well. So it's there's a lot of injury questions surrounding the Ducks right now. Meanwhile, Utah has had cakewalks as far as opposing defenses for two weeks in a row here, getting to play Stanford and also Arizona in back-to-back weeks. So Utah's offense may have a little something cooked up for this. You think that they've just sort of been like packing it in, running spring game offense, and then like, like Tennessee's defense ready, get, getting ready for for or excuse me, Georgia's defense getting ready for Tennessee for you know a couple of weeks now. If Bo Nix is not able to go, and it is Ty Thompson, that is a significant downgrade that would entirely change your handicap and expectations for this game. Oh yes, I mean okay, we saw. Oh, go ahead. We saw last week like. With Ty Thompson in, I mean, they went for it on the fourth down, and we won't get into that debate again. But like they, the, the playbook was clearly very different with Ty Thompson, and it's somebody who, you know, you can wonder now. It's like hindsight's twenty twenty and all that, but 
you wonder with all the blowout wins that Oregon has had this year, maybe Ty Thompson should have gotten more snaps during the season than he's had so far, because maybe then if you're in a situation like this where you do need to rely on him, he's got a little more experience under his belt. All right. Don't look. I know Tom's looked. If you guys have not looked yet, I want you to guess how many passes do you think Ty Thompson has thrown this year? Seven. 13. 21. Mm. How many games has Oregon won by more than three scores? A lot. <laughs> Six? Three. I think five. Yeah. So what he played in... Uh, They're trying to get yeah, Bonix to Heisman. Uh, exactly. But it, it comes Bingo. at the expense of, of Ty Thompson getting more reps. Mm-hmm. Unless I think the more I don't recall, thing was he about, banged up. I don't. I don't want to like blast him if he's been banged know. up and I didn't know about it. But that's. It's just he. It's one of those. T- it's like a, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation where it's like if Nix is dinged, it's like you're suddenly wishing, man, we should have gotten time more snaps. But if Bo Nix stays healthy, it never becomes a problem. Maybe what Ty about- Thompson just a little too much of a liability that they don't trust no that matter what he scores. Some Oregon fans on Twitter openly talking about DJ next year. So. You know, like maybe him going back to the West Coast. Maybe maybe that says something about what they think about Ty Thompson. Wow. Everybody on the West Coast yeah. is talking about DJ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> UCLA talking about DJ. The team that just beat Oregon. Oregon talking about DJ. Yeah, Washington talking about DJ. Oregon talking about DJ. Oh man. All right. So what about that Oregon run game? Bo Nix has obviously been a part of it in terms, especially in the red zone when it comes time to to try and convert on those opportunities. But with Bucky Irving, with Noah Whittington, is this an Oregon rushing attack that you think, let's say if Bo Nix plays but is limited to the point where they have a different kind of game plan, do you think that the Ducks will be able to move the ball uh, in this game against Utah? It's an interesting question in that, as Bud touched on, like if you look at Utah defensively, they have been kind of a sieve against the run. I think they're ranked, let me check here, 122nd in success rate against the run so far this season, which not great, you know, only 131 teams. But with Bo Nix playing, you have to respect what they could do in the passing attack, even if they still are a run-heavy offense. They have an explosive passing attack. If Ty Thompson is in there and you don't really have to worry about that and Utah can kind of just load the box – suddenly their run defense becomes a little bit easier, better at least, and it'd be hard to be worse. So, I mean, yeah, I think that has an impact. I think that with Whittington and Irving, you've got two very good, very explosive backs, shifty guys who can make guys miss, get in the open field, and make you pay. But if they don't have the room to get there, because Bo Nix as a runner kind of opens up lanes for them in the run game on himself because defenses have to respect Nix with his legs. So losing Nix... Passing attack, rushing attack, it's a huge loss for that offense if he doesn't play. Both teams, 6-1 and one in conference play. <clears throat> Oregon's game after this is not easy. Uh, in Corvallis against Oregon State in the rivalry. Utah's next game also on the road, but against Colorado. So if there's a team that certainly, neither team can really afford to lose and try to remain in the Pac-12 title picture, um, but I would say that when you look at the next game that's coming up, Utah does have a little bit of an advantage if things get a little bit crazy with those tiebreakers. I mean, who knows? UCLA beats USC. Utah's got the head-to-head against USC. Things things still very much wide open out there in the Pac-12. Again, some of our thoughts on uh, that USC-UCLA game, you can find those in Mondays upon further review. Will the magic ride for TCU continue because TCU just went into Austin as a seven point underdog 
The offense did not light up the scoreboard, and yet the Horn Frogs came away as decisive winners. Now they go into Waco as narrow favorites against the Bears. Baylor, of course, the reigning Big 12 champions. Do you think the TCU, what are the expectations for the kind of performance? After we see we saw a very un-TCU, TCU game, what are the expe- expectations for what kind of game this is going to be? Tom, are you with me? Are you sticking on the TCU like kind of bandwagon? You've been the one that stayed true to it. Are you staying with it? Yeah, I mean, I I have concerns right now. I think TCU, like we talked about it on the reaction show last night. I think if you go resume, TCU deserves to be ranked higher than it is. I think we talked about last week with the Texas TCU preview. Like, I understood why Texas was favored. Still thought it was ludicrous that Texas was favored against TCU because I thought TCU was a better football team. And I've been on here and I've said that Baylor, you know, I said Baylor's not going to win the Big 12. I'm not a big fan of this Baylor team. But, like, Duggan didn't play well against Texas. And if you look back to the week before, he didn't play all that great the week before either. The last few weeks, his numbers have been kind of on a decline, and that passing attack overall has been kind of on a decline. Now, one of it was Quentin Johnston got hurt early in the game, and obviously that clearly had an impact on what he was able to do for the rest of that afternoon. But I just I have some slight concerns that that offense is maybe – not hitting a wall, but teams are doing a better job of figuring it out and limiting it. Like we, like Texas did a brilliant job last week. I thought the one thing the Longhorns I really enjoyed in that game was their defensive game plan. I thought they did an excellent job of limiting the big plays, keeping everything in front of them, and you know limiting what Quentin Johnston was able to do because too often the TCU offense becomes Quentin Johnston or bust. So if we're able to see that happen again with more teams getting more tape on what they're trying to do and figuring it out and figuring out ways to stop it, seeing what Texas was doing to stop it. I do have some concerns because I think this is a tough game and can their defense perform like that two weeks in a row? If they need to pick themselves up and bail them, you know, pull themselves out of a fire. I don't know because I, I love TCU. I love what it's done, but it's put itself in a lot of dangerous situations. And we see in college football week after week, teams that put themselves in those situations, they get caught eventually. That's what I thought going into the Texas game, though. I thought that was going to be the game. And if you ask me which roster scares me more, I would say absolutely. So why would we even be concerned about this with Blake Shapin coming off his worst performance? I think Kendra Miller becomes even more critical. And it's interesting as the offense and Max Duggan have kind of sputtered, They've given Kendra Miller the ball more often, and he's taken it and ran with it to where he's all of a sudden able to establish himself. And I think the defense is getting right at exactly the right time. So if you look at what Baylor did, right, from bye week on, they've actually been really impressive, and they laid one massive egg. So they had their bye week on October 7th. They go to West Virginia. They traded punches. That's back when West Virginia was a little bit healthier before they really, really cratered and then Shaping gets hurt, and they lose it late. Then they really smoke Kansas. I mean, that the, the final there was, what, 35-23, and they, they controlled it through. I mean, they always had between a two- and a three-score lead, and I was just sitting there with my Kansas ticket hoping I could backdoor that thing. Now, they, they go on the road to Texas Tech next week. Lubbock's not an easy place to play, and they smoke Texas Tech. All right? Then they go on the road again, and they beat Oklahoma, which, you know, Oklahoma's not great, but it's still a quality road win. Last week, they laid total egg against Kansas State. I mean, that was a non-competitive game. They get out game by like 100 yards. Decent bit of that, I think, was was late. 
But I mean, I don't really want to discount everything they've done over the past month just because they laid an egg against Tech, against Kansas State. Teams have bad games sometimes, and that's mm-hmm. okay. It doesn't mean Baylor is all of a sudden terrible. I think TCU is a good football team, maybe a really good football team. I think they do have the quarterback edge here, and that would scare me a little bit because I, I think Joe Gillespie is a hell of a coordinator for TCU's defense. But even though Baylor's defense has not been great this year, and Tom has been on this and he's been nailing it, I can't get it out of my mind that maybe Dave Aranda has something for, for these guys here. Maybe he generates some turnovers. Bader can still be physical running the football sometimes. And TCU's defensive line is not quite what Kansas State has. Kansas State has, I think, more future pros on its D-line than what TCU has. And so if they're able to make them a little more one-dimensional, you know, I, I, I could see Baylor pulling this off. Yeah, I, I think one thing Danny touched on that it's going to be important, this has to be a Kendra Miller game. Because I yeah. do think that is the one area you can really get Baylor's in the run game. You can move the ball on them very effectively. Are, are Baylor fans feeling good about this team? They feeling good about the chances of this? Because you're right that they laid an egg, but that was an egg in a blackout, in a home game, at night, that everybody was really fired up for, and it was a, a bad performance. You think that you think that they're going to be able to get back up? Number, number, number four comes into town, then the atmosphere is going to be crazy because that can be... McLean Stadium can be a pretty awesome home field advantage. Like That place can get up and go... Uh, from time to time, you, do you think that uh, any? Do you think there's any hangover just from the atmosphere uh, around you know, that program? I don't know what their Thanksgiving break schedule is. That could be challenging if it's no school that week. You know, kids decide to bounce, get home a week early. I don't know what the uh, semester looks like. I don't know what the class schedule looks like. Early kick is always a little bit challenging, but I would think they'd have to bring it when you're playing a top four team. I mean, I I would think you'd have a pretty good atmosphere. Is this the big nude Saturday game? It is, but without Joel Klatt, right? Because he's doing the USC UCLA game because the Big Ten deal. Yeah. Okay. Right. I, don't, I don't like the early start for this one, but anyways, <laughs> I don't either. Oh, but you but, will like Jason Benetti on the call, your boy. Yes, Benetti's great. Right? He is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Chicago. Um. Yeah. Jason Benetti and Brock Hewitt on the call for Baylor hosting TCU. Uh. In the early kick. Before we get to a little bit of a coaching carousel preview, uh, I wanted to take a second to at least ask a question that came across, I know, our college football slack at cbsports.com, which is, what is a Biff Pogey? What is a Biff? And this this is not a disrespect to Charlotte's new head coach because the more that you talk to people about Biff Pogey, the more that you look into uh, sort of the background of Biff Pogey, you think like, wow, this is an extremely interesting hire. He was an associate head, co- has been an associate head coach at Michigan. The way that it was sold in the initial reporting, thanks to Bruce Feldman, is that he is given a lot of credit for some of the turnaround and some of the success that the Wolverines have had over the last two years. He was hired to Ann Arbor out of the Baltimore high school ranks. And prior to that, he was running a hedge fund. He was the CEO type. And as we start to look at, you know, different ways that you can be a head coach, different ways that you can manage a staff. This might be a new age hire for a very young program. Remember, we talked about it. Only one bowl appearance and only one winning season in the entire history of Charlotte 49ers football. A program's only been around for about, this is 2008, I think. I could be slightly off on that, but it's new. So as Charlotte prepares to go to the American Athletic Conference, 
are you intrigued by this hire uh, that the 49ers have made for their future? I'm intrigued in that Biff Pochi is living the dream. Like this is a person who made millions doing what, he, you know, running the hedge funds and it's an investment manager and decided instead of retiring, I'm going to go coach ball. And when I do it, I'm going to do it in a lot of sleeveless shirts, maybe some of them old school coaching shorts that ride up a little too high. And I'm going to be named Biff Pochi while doing it. And I'm going to be awesome. So from that aspect, from the football guy aspect, great hire. But I also think that this is, it's a sensible hire for Charlotte in that because you were just mentioning, Chip, this is a new program. This is a program that is still getting off the ground. And being the head coach at Charlotte right now isn't just about X's and O's. Like, you've got to kind of raise money for this program. And I think that Biff Pogey's background gives him an edge there. And then also, like, if you are Charlotte, you can't have a traditional hiring process because how many coordinators right now at, like, Power 5 schools are going to go take that job? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So th- there are a lot of demands on it. And it's kind of like if you look at what Coastal Carolina was when it first started, Joe Molia came from the same kind of background. It was like a CEO trying to build a company, not just a football program. And I think that's where Charlotte is. And I think that the difference is Coastal was starting in the Sun Belt. I think Charlotte moving to the American this quickly means it's going to be an even bigger challenge. So it's going to be interesting to follow for sure. Millionaire aspect there to me is, is really interesting because it, it, I mean, he's obviously made a boatload of money. I assume he still has it. Uh, maybe he's somebody who can take a, I'm not saying he should, but like maybe part of the appeal here is that he doesn't take the job for the money. Uh, just stuff that we had heard was like, Ooh, Charlotte's assistant pool, Charlotte's budget, not mm-hmm. something that that's impressive going to that new league. Maybe that allows Charlotte to throw more money at, at quality assistance that you might want to bring to that job. Uh, so I, that's kind of my main takeaway. Like when I, when I saw it, it was like interesting. Maybe it works. I think Charlotte is a really tough job for the next couple of years until they start fundraising a little bit better and, and finding a way to stand out amongst their new peers in that league. Having a guy who's who's super loaded maybe allows you to stretch your other resources elsewhere. But again, I, we'll know when we see what salary he takes. Does he do the the $1 salary that Joe Mobley no. took for Coastal? No, no. He did as a high school coach. <laughs> he did. Always, yeah. I know you don't do you don't do that with a FPS program. No, but you might take like 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 you know five million or something like that. Mm-hmm. What do they pay Will Healy? Did Will Healy make a mil? No, I doubt no, it. I, I bet he's five hundred is probably the number. I bet, yeah, but I bet yeah. it's I bet it's a discount because I bet this is part of it. Do we know what he did at Michigan? As far like he was an analyst, he was an associate head coach. Feldman yeah, had a really good story on this. You guys should check out. Like, not not to you know tout a, a competitor, but I think Bruce does a good job. And like this, no, I credited it, that's one of the better things five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, no, but seriously, like, just go check it. Go, you know, get a free trial. Don't subscribe. One Jeez. thing I've learned, one thing I've learned being around football, and you guys know this too, there are more than one way, there's more than one way to win. You don't have mm-hmm. to be Nick Saban. You don't have to be Urban Meyer. You don't have to be, uh, you know, Bobby Bowden. There are different ways to win and there are different ways to lead. And this is just a different way to lead. You know, I, think, I think it's intriguing. I like stories that are outside the box like this. Like I'm all in on Jeff Saturday to the Super Bowl for the Colts. Let's go. Also, well, I don't know what his exact role was in Michigan. I mean, considering his background, investment, hedge fund, might have been analytical. Now, listen, I it's just too on the nose that the banking the capital of the world just hired away. a hedge fund mm-hmm. manager. Are you kidding me? Charlotte? Mint City? Yep. He's mm-hmm. hired yeah. a hedge fund manager? 
Yeah, you got to deal with a lot of bankers. Got to raise some money for that program. I, I I think it was sensible. Seems very sensible. And I am very excited uh, to see how it works out in the future of the 49ers program. Congratulations uh, to Biff Bogey and, uh, and the future of uh, Charlotte football. We'll, uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. Well, that was just one job from the coaching carousel that has been filled. So, we're going to get into a little bit of a coaching carousel preview. We're going to give you some names that are going to be on the move. That could mean that you are fired. That could mean that you are hired away to another job. So coaches that will be in different places for the start of 2023. We'll get into that and more next. We got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. One plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So as we were going to uh, break down sort of the a preview of the upcoming coaching carousel, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at it from the names, the players, the ones that are going to be involved, the coaches that are going to be candidates for a lot of these jobs and the ones who are going to be on the hot seat going into those meetings with the athletic director to assess the state of the program and, and leave with a little bit of a buyout, a.k.a. negotiate said buyout. So all of us have come to the table with five names. These are five names that we think are either going to be uh, hired away to a different job or fired. It, one way or another, they're going to be somewhere else. So for coaches on the move, Tom Fernelli, let's let's go. We'll go one coach at a time. If you also have this coach on your list, then we'll speak up. We'll break it down. Uh, Tom, who do you want to focus on first? Uh, I will start with a coach I've mentioned here many, 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 many times for one job specifically. And we just mentioned his program and the guy who used to run it and got it off the ground, Jamie Chadwell, Coastal Carolina. I just think that this is finally the year he gets bumped up to a power five spot. I think he's earned it. I think he's been deserving of it for a while. And I think that he would be a smart hire. And obviously I have touted Georgia Tech as the most logical spot to me, but I don't think it has to be Georgia Tech. I think there could be a number of openings that come that happen this cycle in which he would be a good fit for hell. I know he they won't do it, but I don't think he'd be a bad hire for Auburn at this point. I think he would kill it at Auburn. I just think yeah. that Auburn is going to be too pig-headed and, and try to go just mm -hmm. SEC experience only, despite the fact that the two best coaches in the last 40 years in the SEC had zero SEC coaching experience before coming to the SEC, being Nick Saban 
and Urban Meyer. But uh, I had you know. Jimmy Chadwell on my list, and as I was trying to run down these names, especially the ones who aren't necessarily going to be fired but could be hired away, there's also like what would you stay for? Where are you in the cycle? There are some coaches where I think that you've got to look around and think that this was a little bit of a window. And Grayson McCall, you've been riding this wave with Grayson McCall. Last year, you had a bunch of turnover on the defensive side, and you've seen that as Coastal Carolina's defense has certainly fallen off a good bit uh, here in 2022. You can look at uh, what they've been able to do in the transfer portal to be able to fill some holes, but Coastal Carolina is going to face that same challenge that we've talked about a lot in the modern era where the best players for Coastal Carolina every single offseason are now suddenly going to become uh, potential candidates to go to one of these Power 5 programs if given the opportunity. I had Jamie Chadwell on my list because I, I think timing is sort of the key the key word here. This is a time when he can probably cash in and be able to uh, to go make a jump. You'd be crazy to think that you know, McCall is not an important part of this run, and Chip's right on that. But I will say other programs in the recruiting industry, they respect Coastal's evaluation process and a Coastal offer. I guarantee you schools are bird-dogging their offers. And I guarantee you even further – that you're going to see schools come after several prospects on that coastal roster, right? Mm-hmm. There's a receiver who has some real juice. Their nose guard's a total stud. Like some guys that have eligibility remaining, but are probably going to get that NIL bag, like tampering or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, like just as as other schools will come after Chadwell, schools will be coming after Coastal's players. They've done a hell of a job scouting that team. And like that defense is certainly dropped off. It hasn't dropped off as bad as I thought it would. Like they've done a pretty good job replenishing it to the like they've just made it like it's not terrible and it, it seems to be improving during the season. I'm I'm impressed with what they're doing. I had Chadwell to Georgia Tech. I know we talked in here. I hope it happens. I think it'd be a great hire for Georgia Tech. I think it's a way to kind of get an offense that uses a lot of the triple option schemes, puts the quarterback in the gun. And I also say, why not bring Grace McCall with you? You know, I mean, he's going to get a lot. Of, I mean, I know he's coming. He, he's hurt. He's gone for the year. But maybe that kind of diminishes some of the bigger schools that would have paid a bunch of big bucks. And Jamie Chadwell could say, hey, come along with me and find some money for you and see if we can do this thing in the ACC. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And I th- I totally agree with you guys. The timing feels feels right for Chadwell. Um, Bud. All right, let's uh, again. I don't know that these guys will definitely be on the move, but they're dudes that I think uh, should have opportunities if they choose to leave. I'm going to go here. Uh, I'm going to go Brian Hartline. I mean, just a dude who absolutely kills it for Ohio State, uh, and I, I think he, he could have multiple avenues. Right, Hartline could do NFL stuff if he wanted to because I think he is a really good developer of receivers. I mean, they they sign studs. It's not like he's working mm-hmm. with. Like he's not pulling miracles out of his hat, but the consistent level of production that they get from those studs that they sign, they, I'm not saying they don't miss, but they don't miss much. Been impressed with, with that. He obviously is a, a really good recruiter. I think he knows what he's doing offensively. So maybe NFL, maybe as an offensive coordinator elsewhere, or let me throw this out there to you guys. What, why can't Brian Hartline do the Dabo model? Dabo ain't never called a play in his life, right? He's a, he's a good program guy, personality. Heck of a recruiter was literally a receivers coach like Hartline. Maybe Hartline could could get a uh, you know a very low level P five job if he wanted, uh, or you know a, a good G five job as a head coach. If you're him, wouldn't you be? Don't you think he played there? You know, Columbus means a lot to him. Don't you think you wait 
for the perfect job, big job to come open? Yeah, I think it's very possible. Like more of a sure thing. Because I totally agree. I think he's got to be on everybody's list as somebody to call. I just don't know if you're able to lure lure him away unless it's a really attractive job, which I don't know if that happens this year. And plus fair. it's like like the money Ohio State can pay him. That's that's going to come in too because it's going to have to be somebody. Like Brian Hartline is what we were talking about with Charlotte. Brian Hartline is not somebody Charlotte could ever dream of hiring no matter how badly they wanted him just because – Ohio State can pay him more to be their wide receiver coach than he can be right. coach. Yeah, right. sweet job for Brian Hartline. I mean, that's the like that's the the life position. It's like, hmm, okay. To- and and recruiting is how hard here? Oh, oh, not <laughs> not that hard. Okay, and I can continue to do this. And I have to do how much media availability? Oh, oh, none. Oh, okay. All right. Let's let's just get out here and coach some ball. Uh, in again at the place where you went to you went to school. You love Columbus. Um, Does. Does Hartline like if Fickles at Cincinnati now and Cincinnati's going to the Big 12 and now they're power five? Does Hartline take that kind of Ohio State coach and waiting role now that used to be Fickles? I still think I, I think that just because Cincinnati's making the move to the Big 12, we can't scratch Fickle from the top of, yeah, the top of the Ohio State board. It is it's the Ohio State job. It's can Cincy pay a hundred mil? Does Sickle Star lose his shine if Cincy starts, pay, starts taking a bunch of L's in, in the Big 12? Or do they, no. will they remember what, what he did in, in the American? I, I, I think that you take Fickle with the full knowledge all the way back to his time as an assistant. Agreed. Like the, the whole body of work is just too strong. He's built up enough goodwill to have the benefit of a doubt of if he starts turning in some eight and four, nine and three seasons in the Big 12. I, I still think that he he's, would be considered as one of their own near the top of the Ohio State board. Danny, who's on your list? All right, I'm going to go to the assistant coaching ranks following Bud's footsteps. We've got one team that has a train wreck unfolding right now and a head coach who has been as stubborn as it gets because he wants to call the plays. Jimbo Fisher, they're not going to fire him, but I do think there's going to be an intense amount of pressure for him to go out and find the best offensive coordinator in the land. I think there's going to be some pressure for some boosters and people that are power players there as well. You don't have to look very far. You don't even have to go out of the state. I think you call up TCU's Garrett Riley, the offensive coordinator at TCU. has done a fantastic job. I know Sonny Dykes is an offensive mind as well, but Garrett Riley, even if you go back a couple years, has had a ton of success Plus, he's got the Riley last name, which I think helps. I think it you can pay him any amount of money if there was other potential G5 head coaching jobs that are opportunities for him. I think it makes a lot of sense. You can sell it to the boosters. I could hear all the hype for the offseason for Texas A&M's back. I can't promise you it'll work, but I think it makes a lot of sense. I also have Garrett Riley on my list. I do not think he's going to take the OC job at Texas a <laughs> As a I Garrett do, Riley decision. <laughs> yeah, I do not think that is what Garrett Riley wants. I think that it might make sense for Texas A&M, but I don't think, again, like we, I don't care how much pressure you put on Jimbo. Jimbo will be like, okay, pay me. I'll go away. But it's like, I think Riley, because like you mentioned, the name, the offense, he's got that kind of cachet, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does the same thing Lincoln did. Like he takes a head coaching job at a group of five school first. And then turns that because like Lincoln was at, or no, he wasn't the head coach. He was he was at ECU. He's the OC. Under, yeah, I'm sorry, um, he wasn't the HC yeah. there. But I think that there's another job that could come open in Texas 
that I have on my list that I think Garrett Riley could make sense for. And that? that would be Seth Luttrell at North Texas. Yeah. I don't know that I agree with it because this is a team that is currently in the running to win its conference right now. <laughs> but there is a lot of a lot of talk and sense that he's gone. Like they're going to get rid of him no matter what happens. They want to move on as they move to the American. They feel like they need to make a change. And I would think that if they do, Garrett Riley is somebody who they may, maybe they view as the person that they will need to not only help North Texas get to the American, but, you know, succeed in the American. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I recently tweeted like, wait, why are we getting rid of Seth Luttrell at North Texas? And I, I, I framed it as like they have a really good chance to play for the conference title. And obviously, since I gave out their 30 to 1 ticket here on the show about seven months ago, I'm really hoping that they do play for that conference title. But the fact that I immediately want to hedge that bet because I don't think they're actually one of the best two teams in the conference and probably not anywhere close is one of the reasons why North Texas fans would like to make a change there because they, they don't think North Texas, with the location it has, the way you can recruit Dallas, the way you can move over to Houston and recruit there, and the money they spend, like they actually spend really good money for the CUSA level. Uh, they do not think they should be behind programs like UTSA, Western Kentucky, UAB, those type of things. Like they don't think you should get blown out by UNLV. So I, mm -hmm. I get it from that standpoint. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shout Riley out to uh, just a correction from a previous episode. Shout out to Jordan from the Conference USA League office. He is a passionate listener of the 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 podcast. In addition to being the assistant commissioner for communications for the CUSA, and he wanted to um, correct us rightly that I think we mentioned that North Texas and the divisions, but they scrapped divisions. Right. So North mm -hmm. Texas is in the running for the conference championship. They are currently uh, off the pace, currently at five and two in conference play. UTSA in first place, Western Kentucky also at five and two. FAU also at four and two. So in the running to make the Conference USA championship game, not the leaders in the West division. Uh, appreciate you listening, Jordan, and always feel free to, uh, to holler at us anytime we need a correction. Shout out Jordan. Uh, can, can I suggest one more guy uh, that was on my list that I thought would make some sense for the Texas A&M job if for some reason Jimbo Fisher actually does decide to hire a different officer coordinator? And, and again, I don't know if anybody wants to go work for him. I guess for the money, it would make sense, but it, you'd have to be convinced that you would actually get to call the plays, most likely. Or if you give a guy like $2.5 million, I mean, maybe he's like, I don't care. Like You, you call the plays, <laughs> give me the title, give, give me the check. I'll, Not I'll, to I'll me. retire after this. That, to me, is the most interesting dynamic that's going to unfold is they're going to get an offensive coordinator, I believe. What is the dynamic between him and Jimbo? Is it hands-off or is it hands-on or is it collaboration? And that could be problematic. I know some guys who have worked for Jimbo as his OC, and uh, I think if you want to get a name like you want to go out and get, you can't treat the guy you want to go out and get like you did those dudes as far as delegation and, and responsibilities. But no. again, a name I, I might throw out there, and this would largely depend on how Mike Elko felt it was working for Jimbo Fisher. Like, would he give this guy a good recommendation of, yeah, go take the job in Texas A&M? Is Kevin Johns, right? He was the OC at Memphis for a couple of years, did a really nice job under Mike Norvell. He does emphasize running the football. It's not like a super air raidy thing, which I think Jimbo would never go for, right? Like, like you're not going to get Jimbo to hire an OC that he sees as gimmicky. I think he has to see it like as, pro style but modernized and just like something he convinced himself is like yeah this is true football this is the right way to play the, the game of offense 
Kevin Johnson's done a hell of a job this year at Duke. He did a very nice job at Memphis. Previously, he had some Texas Tech experience. He was at Indiana when they were actually doing okay. Uh, that's a name that if Elko liked working for Jimbo, and I don't know, like, I don't know Mike, so I don't know what his relationship was, I could see him getting plucked by AM because I think it's somebody Jimbo could convince himself might work. He's only 32 years old, but could Kenny Dillingham take a head coaching job? Could maybe at his alma mater? 32 years old, not an extensive coaching experience. I Kenny had it Dilling- on my list. Yeah, Kenny Dillingham's on my list, and the more that I've tried to dig into this, the more that I, I, I'm probably more attracted to it because of how it, how interesting it would be, uh, how much excitement there is around his future. It would be very risky, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of pushback in terms of his coaching chops and the way that the offense has looked at Oregon has been very impressive. And so Kenny Dillingham from Phoenix, Arizona, 2012 graduate of Arizona State, he, Arizona State's the one that you can connect, but even if we want to just talk about assistants that could get other assistant jobs or maybe even in uh, a more high-paying assistant gig for some of these coaches that have bigger assistant pools, I think that Kenny Dillingham is going to be uh, due for a raise at Oregon at the very least and potentially due for a bump up to a head coaching job. I think that could – I mean, <laughs> again, do we know who's making the hire at Arizona State yet? Have they started their process? <laughs> no, I, I mean, he I, got Emma, Emma Stone's dad is making the hire. That's no. my hurt. <laughs> he got it's, Bo Nix in the Heisman Trophy race. Mm-hmm. Like, and he got him to play an, consistently, too. Exactly. He is. And I think it also helps that they've had a ton of success at Oregon with Dan Lanning, who what, was he, 33 when they hired him? You know, because I think that's going to be one of the big drawbacks is oh Kenny Dillingham's only 32 well look what they did together as just a couple of 30 you know young somethings to be able to turn that around and and I do it just feels like Dillingham kind of is on the fast track like he's been on this upward trajectory and if there's an opportunity he's going to jump at it because I don't know if it's a great landing spot for him like there's a massive difference between the resources you get at Oregon the team you inherited as Dan Lanning did at Oregon versus what Kenny Dillingham is going to walk into at Arizona State. So if I was advising him, I might have some you know, tempered enthusiasm. Hey, let's make sure what we're walking into because that is going to be a, a big undertaking for whoever takes that gig. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to say it. I know they hate it when you do it. Sleeping Giant. Arizona State. I love it. They should mm-hmm. be. I feel like they should be. I Get got, some uh, young blood in there, some excitement. Get that thing going. Uh, a mutual friend uh, of all of us or most of us, Adam Gold, made the allegation that Arizona State in a just forward-looking future could be as good of a job as Nebraska. You agree? Yes. Yes. I don't agree at all if they stay in the Pac-12. Hmm. Resources-wise, I, I, don't, I don't think – like I, I think that's just going to not be competitive comparatively. Salary-wise, no. Success-wise, Yes. That you would have a better yeah, path be to a- championships. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think so for sure. Yeah. Mm. Better path we'll to the playoff for sure, which mm-hmm. I guess does give you a better path to championships. Are they right? going to be a power five? Like, what are we looking at? 
what Arizona USC, State? UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm talking about the Pac-12. Like, yes. what is it going to be? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, the, the I think the expanded playoff has. If if we're gonna have if we're gonna give if out the new if the new Big Twelve six, is yeah, yeah if we're gonna give out six automatic bids to conference champions then we got I mean that's that's Pac twelve is one of those six right I you, think so you you yeah because the Americans losing four good ones yes yeah. you're right until the yeah. until the Sun Belt rises it is on the rise mm-hmm. the Sun Belt rises in the East. <laughs> Um, okay. What about a name of somebody that's going to be fired? Does anyone have one of those on, on their coaches on the move? The only one I had was Latrell. I've got Neil Brown. I have one. Neil Brown. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I think that the ouster of the athletic director is potentially following somewhat of the same path that we had at Auburn where we're going to make an athletic director hire. The athletic director is going to come in, assess everything with the football program, and then we're going to make a move on Neil Brown, and the new athletic director is going to get to go and make their own hire. This is not going to be a timeline that necessarily is going to play out the same, but sometimes we do have these coaching changes happen in early December, in late December, in early January. So I think that the the ouster of Shane Lyons as athletic director and sort of the – the way that that story was packaged and presented might suggest that West Virginia, after making a new athletic director hire, might be poised to to make a move at head coach as well. And that would mean Neil Brown is coaching in a new place or not coaching at all at the start of 2023. And they did say that like they plan to have a hire in the next few weeks, right? Yeah. Which could kind of indicate that they want to get it done quickly for a reason. There's, a, there's an interesting dynamic here in that like in the sort of media that follows the NCAA really hard type world and other athletic director world chain lines nerds very well respected. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, you know, which I mean, Hey, I'm kind of nerdy myself. Uh, Like Shane Lyons is pretty respective or respected, but I feel like West Virginia kind of told chain Lyons like, Hey man, got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing here is winning football games at West Virginia. And you ain't doing your hire is not doing that. So get Neil Brown about the paint. I don't know how this went down, but like, wouldn't surprise me if Lions is like, no, like, you guys are crazy to have these expectations here at West Virginia. These are not reasonable. And this is why I always say some schools, when they change conferences, and Oklahoma fans misinterpreted what I said here, but when you take the check, you take the losses, right? It's not reasonable to expect West Virginia with their geography to have success in the Big 12. Maybe the new Big 12 a little bit more, but like, the new standard at West Virginia should be if you make a bowl, that's a good thing. I don't think it's real to think they can compete for conference titles. And the next thing is also kind of the same deal at South Carolina, where my guy who's on the move in the negative way is, and that's that's Satterfield, the OC. Uh, anytime I tweet about South Carolina, all my mentions are just, we got to fire this OC. This is horrendous. And I, I think given their offensive effort this year, it's hard to disagree. I don't know exactly what went on there internally, but uh, every South Carolina fan out there seems like they would go pack his bags for him. Hot Cedarfield, <laughs> yeah. but different. not yeah, yeah. But a different one. But that was another thing about this coaches on the move exercise because I was going through some of those hot seat names from the start of the season, and some of them are kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Scott Satterfield's a four point favorite against NC State this weekend, and like you win that one, that seven, you then you play Kentucky. I mean, obviously having Malik Cunningham healthy would be you know very important uh, to to beating Kentucky certainly. But like if if Scott Satterfield comes out here eight and four, that's a it's a good season. 
Yeah. Good season for Scott Satterfield. Dino Babers, we had him on the hot seat. Guess what he did? He won his first six games of the season. Got the Orange Bowl eligible, had him all up in the college football playoff rankings. I get a lot of these uh, hot seats across the country seem to have cooled off just a little bit. So it, well, it's going to be more domino hires, I think, in this coaching carousel uh, than anything else. All right, who else? Unless, what, unless one happens and then the whole sport goes nuclear. <laughs> Well, there's also the closed loop theory. We've got like a, a Tom Herman. We've got a Kevin Sumlin. We've got a Paul Christ. We've got a Bronco Mendenhall. Like we've got uh, all of these coaches that would not set off the dominoes. We've got a Matt Rule, which could end up at Nebraska. Then all of a sudden, we're like, okay, all right, all the jobs are filled, and we don't always have the the total domino situation. But it's true. Is anybody going to mention Lane? Was oh. that too obvious? I, I had him on my list. I, I just yeah, yeah I had him on my list too. too. Yeah. All right. Yeah, Lane Lane Kiffin. Is it only the one spot? <sighs> yeah. It's only one open spot. One if other jobs open. open. Correct. Yeah. And it's just going to be a bidding war, right? Oh, we want to speculate on what the other it? jobs would be. I, I... Well, there, there, there's, there's one about ninety miles east and a little bit to the south. <laughs> Wait, from Oxford. Wait, you're talking about Auburn, right? No, little, no, 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 a little yeah. closer than that. Rhymes with Buscaloosa. <laughs> <laughs> Kiffin's just gonna wait it out and see if Saban calls it quits, so that he can be first in line to uh, to get to take over the behemoth. Can you imagine a bidding war between Auburn and Alabama for Lane Kiffin? He's gonna become the first two hundred million dollar coach in history. <laughs> Incredible! Incredible! Um, so what what are the expectations for how this goes with Lane? This is a coaching carousel preview. We've got a lot of time to speculate as we get closer to the to the home like uh, to the finish line, you know, to the end of the season, to Lane Kiffin accepting the Auburn job on a Friday and coaching the Tigers in the, in the Iron Bowl on a Saturday. Remember, the Egg Bowl will be the final game of the regular season on a Thursday. But let's how how do you think it goes? I th- I don't think he's taking the Auburn job. Doesn't he have the perfect situation? Wait, taking or being offered? Oh, he'll be offered. I don't think he's taking. Oh, okay. See, I think I'm flipped on that. Why do you think that? I think that kind of what you just that mentioned. That Ole Miss? Like, I think that he feels he's in the running for the Alabama job and that he's going to wait until that's open. So he's not going to take the Auburn gig as long as the Alabama job is still a possibility. And if Saban doesn't retire this year... He'll stick around at Ole Miss for the year because it's not like he's going to fall off the face of the earth at Ole Miss. The team's still going to be pretty good. So I don't know. I just, I don't think. And also, let's be real. Like, do you want the Auburn job? I understand that you can win national titles there, but can you win a national title there without Cam Newton? And can you do it while dealing with the insanity surrounding that program? I think I would want it because. I don't think he can take Ole Miss further than he has taken them. I think there's just some institutional things with at Ole Miss. You're not going to win SEC titles, right? Well, yeah, and, they've got zero appearances in the SEC championship game. Even Mississippi correct. State has a, an appearance in the SEC championship mm-hmm. game. Ten and two regular season last year was one of the most successful regular seasons in program history. Like he is literally maxing out Ole Miss based on historical precedent right now. Now, historical precedent, uh, a little bit. Um, maybe influenced by 
how fast the university and football program were to integration, you know, set back a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, maybe that, that, that should balance out at some point, but historical precedent says that where Lane Kiffin has Ole Miss at this point in the season, double digit win seasons time of like year over year, that is, that's maxing out the, where the rebels are at right now. Two things will happen during the life cycle of the contract given the new head coach at Auburn. One, Nick Saban will not be there, right? Like, there's, I, I, there's, I don't think any of us think Nick Saban's got five more years in him, right? And that's probably about the length of the contract. Maybe six will be given on that deal. Number two, Oklahoma and Texas will enter the SEC. You can argue that Auburn produces that about an Oklahoma and Texas level as far as performance over the last 20 years. Ole Miss is undoubtedly a worse program than those two, and it will move down the ranks even more. Ask Glenn Mason how much credit you get for exceeding or bumping up against your program ceiling all the time. Ask Mark Stoops how it's going about Kentucky. He has had the best stretch in Kentucky history, and now he got fans chirping at him on Twitter about what's wrong with this team. What's wrong with this team? It's freaking Kentucky football. Like, there's going to be waves up and down, right? This is a perfectly acceptable season. You know, so eventually I think it's, it's smart to get out when you can, and Auburn has a ceiling that's much higher than Ole Miss. I'm sure Auburn would pay him a, a boatload of money, and I think that Recruiting-wise, Auburn has abilities that Ole Miss does not, not only because of geography, but also because of NIL. Auburn's sitting on a war chest of NIL money, allegedly, right now. It's kind of known in the back circles. You know, we've heard $13 million ready to spend, a couple, you know, a couple other things like that, uh, that I tend to believe. I think Auburn has much better recruiting resources and is, is more intent on playing the game at both the high school and transfer level, not just what Ole Miss does with the transfer stuff. Yeah, recruiting – out of high school is easier with your proximity to Atlanta and the West Georgia area than it is to a Memphis and like the Oxford area. One counter to this though, is that Auburn is much more of a fishbowl than Oxford is, right? You can kind of just live your own lifestyle in Oxford, whereas Auburn, everything you do, Hey, I saw Coach Kiffin at the grocery store is going to make its way to Twitter and the message board, right? Mm-hmm. Like you are. And also when they want to fire you. Eyes on you all the time. <laughs> hey, but Gus Malzahn, go, go talk to Gus about what you can do when they want to fire you because you can go get them, get a new contract out of them. You just got to roll off a couple of wins. Just beat the number one team in the country <laughs> twice in a month. It's not that hard. You can do that at Auburn. Um, yeah, I, I think Lane is is the the most interesting the most interesting name in the Auburn search. He might say no. He might get a fat new check uh, from Ole Miss, and he might stay there and continue to live his life and roll off these double-digit win seasons. But he's if we're going to talk about a, a preview of the coaching carousel and coaches that could be on the move, I think that Lane Kiffin, especially in relation to the Auburn job, uh, has to be mentioned. Is Jim Leonard definitely going to get the Wisconsin job? He was number six on my list because I'm as they are sitting at five and five, albeit facing a situation where they've got at Nebraska this weekend, Minnesota at home. The chances of winning one of those two, I think, are pretty good. Probably better than 50%, especially going up against the Nebraska team as it is currently constructed. But he was given an opportunity, you know, going into uh, the Northwestern game. And so far as the interim head coach, he is three and two. He's won uh, home games against Purdue and Maryland. He won on the road against Northwestern. He also lost to Michigan State. He also lost this past weekend to Iowa. 
I had Jim Leonard again, not as like my top five, but as one that I wanted to bring up for the conversation because the domino effects we talk about gets more interesting if Wisconsin does not hire Leonard and instead decides to get hire another power five or top group of five coach. I think he's the coach there. And it's, we met, I mentioned it earlier this week. I was talking about like Michigan reportedly uh, tampering with Braylon Allen and how Braylon Allen, after the loss, had to address it in the media. One quote that Braylon Allen kind of used, which was interesting, was that as long as Jim Leonard's here, I'll be here. So in a way, it was kind of like I, I felt like he was sending a message. And so I, and I think Jim Leonard has the I think the players in the locker room like him a lot. So I do think Jim Leonard will be back. And I do think that while they haven't probably won as many games as they wanted to. I don't think that's really I, I think the problems that that team has had this year weren't something Leonard could fix in an interim capacity within a couple of months. So I think he'll get the job. I think they were grooming him for the job. And I don't think that if they wanted him to have the job, they fire Paul Chris during the season. What if uh what if Nebraska stole Jim Leonard? How hilarious would that be? <laughs> I would laugh. I would laugh. I mean, yeah. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's gonna happen, but I I would laugh my ass off for sure. Um is David Shaw done at Stanford? No. They don't care. I I I would wonder if that would be a resignation. Uh like why would he resign? He would resign in the same like the the results the the results that we are getting on the field. Stanford football deserves better. I don't want to deal with the administration anymore, and I can go get a job in the NFL. But what what job could he get in the NFL right now? I think that David Shaw. I, listen. Cliff Kingsbury was fired from Texas Tech and then got the head coaching job for the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, but I think David Shaw could get hired as an offensive coordinator in the NFL next year. Cliff was hired because of his offense, which scored a ton of points. Yeah, and it was seen as innovative. Shaw's yeah. is seen as like regressive. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know. that. I, I, I can't say that he... Will definitely be back, but I just don't know how to handicap it because it's one of these schools where football doesn't seem to be a priority. So, like, how do you how do you judge it? I, I think it's a great name that Chip brings up. Just how do we? I don't have like a great source within Stanford administration that says, "Hey, we we're all of a sudden going to care. We're going to allow undergraduate transfers in. We're actually going to allow players that are currently on our team into our grad schools. So they don't have to transfer out for their final year, which really kind of sucks for those kids because like they don't necessarily want to leave Stanford. They just kind of have to when they don't get into Stanford grad school." I don't know. Maybe, maybe like Shaw has never fired an assistant coach. That like right. So mm -hmm. maybe he makes a, a coaching change or two there. Uh, do you want to rapid fire a couple names? Yeah. All right. Chris Hampton, Tulane's defensive coordinator. Big showcase game this weekend. Uh, he think he's done a really nice job this year at Tulane. He's a dude who I think will get looks from Power Five schools to move up as a DC. And a couple hot shot uh, OC names. We already had Garrett Riley. I think Alice Golesh, some AD out there is going to be like, look how fun Tennessee is, right? He's also not directly tied to the Bryles tree, which if you want to run that offense, that can occasionally be a, a plus in your columns. That's basically, or, you know, that's what they run. And what about Willie Korn? I mean, he played at Clemson. Clemson's offense looks stale as hell. Uh, he's the OC right now for Jamie Chadwell or co-OC. That could potentially work. Final one, 
Jason Beck, quarterback coach at Syracuse. Look at how good Virginia looked last year. Look at the amazing turnaround that we had at Syracuse this year. I think that guy can get a shot to be a major OC at like a, a big-time P5 program. I think Gilesh is a good call because not only does he have the fun offense, but he's also got history as a recruiting coordinator, which is mm. an easy sell. It's like, I got a fun offense and I can recruit. And that's going to be a good sell for a lot of programs. Uh, a couple other coordinators I had as possibilities moving up. Uh, UCF defensive coordinator Travis Williams, I think, is somebody who could either get a look, like you said, but from a Power 5 program who wants to hire him as the DC or maybe even a head coaching shot somewhere. And then I don't know if he wants to leave, I think, but Jim Knowles, look at the job he's done in one year, how quickly he has revamped that Ohio State defense. If he wants a head coaching gig, if he wants to, you know, have if he wants another shot at it, because he's only been a head coach once, it was at Cornell, his alma mater. But I could see teams being interested in him. I, I, I like that. Stanford? Chip, David Shaw makes – we don't know for sure. David Shaw makes about – between eight and nine million a year. He's not resigning. There's I'm no television, you, there's listen, no TV network paying him that, and there's no NFL staff paying him that. I told you during the NFL draft last year when he was on the NFL network desk that he knew way too much about those NFL teams. He wasn't just telling you about what he saw from these guys in college, he was telling you about the depth chart of the current NFL roster. He was telling you about the schemes in place on these NFL rosters. Why are you doing on that NFL prep, David? You just want to do a really good job on that NFL yes. Network show? Mm. Yes. Mm. Trying to impress he's a general a, manager. He's a Stanford man through and through, Chip. He does, he does his, his homework. homework. That's all right. No, no, no Stanford administrator will listen to this podcast because Stanford hates fun, and fun <laughs> is at the heart of the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, oh, last one. Are, 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 are you, are you going to shock on your list, or were you doing the outro? I was uh, I was just about to get us out of here right after I check our likes because we've got a lot of people watching and yes we hit 150. Nice. All right, check the likes. Last one here. Obviously Alex Atkins who made the the Royals list finalist th th this this week, the offensive coordinator slash O line coach slash like ace recruiter of the Knolls, uh, did a really good job when he was actually at Charlotte. I don't think he's. I think he's going to be pretty picky. FSU pays him well. They'll probably pay him even better after this offseason. I mean, he like. I think Norvell knows his value there. If Coastal were to open up, right, like if Chadwell left, because he has recruited the Carolinas so well, that could be a spot that I think he could kill it at. Drop your Twitter handles in the chat. We are giving away three different. 30-day free trials to the Paramount Plus premium plan. Go ahead and fill them up in the chat. Uh, we will get in touch with you. Three lucky winners. Drop that Twitter handle in the chat. And make sure that you are following uh, the Cover 3 podcast on Twitter so that we can get in touch with you to give you those codes for a 30-day free trial. Again, <laughs> um, yeah, this is uh, – I'm – Guessing that we're not given the 30-day free trial right here, but uh, you know, that's <laughs> we're not trying to tank Paramount Plus, folks. No, we 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 want Paramount Plus to go I mean, to the we moon. We should. We have a hundred to give out, right? Like we should just give one. Maybe he'll retweet us. He's been responding to people kind of just willy-nilly. Like that'd be good exposure and maybe bad exposure too. We, we'd be inundated with bots, but <laughs> who knows? Saying like a retweet there could could do wonders for the show. 
Um, and, you know, this is a little bit close to uh, the Cover 3 podcast, but 29 years ago today, Queen Latifah dropped her Black Rain album, which did include UNITY. So happy anniversary to Queen Latifah and uh, the album that produced one of the, the real core tenets of the Cover 3 podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at Blood Elliot 3 You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.